Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs-Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the stranger side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome to episode 13 of Eerie Essex. Our topic for the month is fairies, and we're very excited to have a special guest with us. We're thrilled to be joined today by folklorist, researcher, and social historian Joe Hickey Hall. Joe is the host of the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, which we have recommended in the past and will probably do so on a regular basis because it's so good. Um, it's a podcast which aims to collect and preserve contemporary experiences and it it offers a safe haven for those who want to share their stories but might be nervous because unfortunately, for some reason, of all the subjects in the paranormal sphere, fairies for some reason still has a taboo or a, a weird stigma about it. It's the least believable, yet there's so many. So. Joe, I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this, what made you want to start the podcast? Mm. Um, well, to cut a long story short, um, I suppose I, I could say I, I came over to Bristol to study a master's at uni with uh, Professor Ronald Hutton in 2014 in history. And I originally came over to study, I was interested in dolmens and folklore, actually. And why people, you know, revere them in certain ways and how um, important they were to people and cultures and and the kind of ritual use around them as well. And and then he kind of got me onto fairies. But and that's how I I sort of came into it from a a sort of an an academic angle, although I would I would say because I was a social researcher before, my real joy was actually talking to people about their experiences. But it it was sort of as, as it is with these sorts of things in life it was a kind of an amalgamation of lots of different roads that met because my dad who it was Irish from Cork used to tell me a lot of stories about fairies when I was a small child and so although I was never kind of really into fairies as it were not really particularly into fairies and fairy wings or anything like that uh, I was interested in the stories he told me. I was interested in the idea of these other worlds running alongside ours and these, you know, these beings that, you know, might appear from nature and and how when we go into nature exploring and playing, that we might have these amazing experiences. So I suppose, yeah, it all kind of came together like that. And then I joined the Folklore Society uh, uh, when I was doing my master's and met Mark Norman and was invited to co-author a chapter in Magical Folk with Mark. And that is a wonderful book. Mm. It's, uh, you know, one of Simon Young's and Kerry Holbrook. And I just recommend anything by Simon Young, really. If you're interested in anything to do with fairies and fairy sightings, seeing fairies is amazing, which, of course, you know, we're going to talk about a few stories from there tonight, aren't we? Mm -hmm. 
and also the fairy census. So I was in very good company, really. And writing that chapter on Devon with Mark, I thought it might be a good idea to set up a, a Facebook group at the time and just allow a space for people to share their stories. And the podcast kind of developed out of that in, in lockdown. It, again, it was just one of those things that happened, sort of following my nose with things really and doing what I love and what, what I enjoy. So that's much like ours really developed in lockdown out of something that we enjoy and love doing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. And that coming together as well, you know, you found each other. It's there's quite a band of us now of researchers who are interested in the weird. There is. Um, almost yeah. like a cult. No. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can still see that your interest in dolmens hasn't gone though, because they feature quite a lot with fairy sightings. There's quite a connection there, isn't there? Dolmens. Definitely. Uh, what uh, sorry, for someone who's who's just heard that word, what are dolmens? Dolmens. So ancient oh, stones, megaliths. Ah, okay. Yeah. Megaliths. I know megaliths. I had, hadn't heard dolmens before, so I thought I'd, I'd get that clarified for anybody else who was sitting here like me going, golems? Dolmens, dolmens. yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of dolmens in Jersey. Um, it's a really, it's, it's just, yeah, scattered with ancient dolmens and, and stones, um, and they're very well preserved. So I grew up around dolmens, wherever we were, wherever we were living, we went that far from dolmens. And, you know, thankfully, you can still go, unlike Stonehenge, um, you can still go and, you know, hang out there and, you know, visit them, have picnics there if you like. And, you know, if you're into ritual, it's a nice space to use too. Um, yeah. Powerful places. Uh, so, and of course, there's lots of of these stones all over the UK and all over, you know, all over the world that you can still access. So, you know, that's great. But yeah, they do they do feature strongly, and I think also it's because it's just somewhere to go and be peaceful as well. Mm. They, are, they can be really peaceful places. They've all got their own characters. I mean, even yeah. each of the stones. Like, do you folks go and visit? Well, I, I used to study archaeology and we did go on a trip to Stonehenge once as part of um, a college course. And I actually, we were allowed into the Henge to have an, an up-close look at the sort of the working on the rocks and everything. Whilst we were there, we met a wizard um, and he was meditating in the middle of the Stonehenge. Um, we're not entirely sure whether he broke in there. Um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he was from Canada. His name was Doug Bluffy. Hi, Doug, if you're listening. Um, and he, he came around with us on the rest of our archaeology tour, which uh, was then dubbed the Magical Mystery Tour. So, I have, oh, cool. yeah, you have strange experiences in those stones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You never know who you're going to meet. You're sure he was a human being. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I I vaguely remember that his beard was so long he was using it as a scarf. Amazing. <laughs> makes me wonder. Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Doug Bluffy does have a, it has a ring to it. Mm. Another worldly sort of. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? I, where I grew up in South Wales, we had quite a few. I didn't realise how many we had. I found out since I moved away from Wales and mm. lived in Essex because I did a a talk on death in the landscape and I looked at stones and I didn't realise how the village where I, I grew up and the area of my Stegen Tondi is just littered with them. It's literally like you can't move for them. 
Then there's glacial erratics, there's dolmens, there's wayfinder stones and all sorts. And then I started looking for Essex down here and there's almost like variations. I don't know, do you get pudding stones elsewhere? Is that pudding a term you've come stones. across? Pudding stones. That does sound familiar, pudding stones. I don't know enough about dolmens. I want to look more into them because I've never heard of that term and it might be quite um, special to East Anglia. Because I know we've got quite a few glacial erratics because this whole area Weird, Norfolk mentions a pudding stone somewhere. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah. I think that line of pudding stones ends down here. So maybe we can... Oh, fab. Mm. We're the bottom of the pudding. (laughs) Yeah. Tasty bit. (laughs) Yeah, where all the good stuff goes and caramelises. So what we normally do is we just dive right into stories and share and chat about them. So I think, Elsa, is it my turn to go first? It is your turn to go first, according to my very thorough spreadsheet, which just has number one and two next to our names. Thank God you were organised because I am so scatty. (laughs) Can't even find my own story now. That's why I make the spreadsheet. Otherwise, the brain just goes out the door. (laughs) Yeah, we've both got EDS, Joe, so we're got brain fog all the time uh yeah i do suffer from that quite quite a bit as well so i've been the brain fog part to the like what we do actually i think we spend a lot of time mulling things over more yeah whimsical wandering whimsical wandering yes and for the added benefit i'm quite under the weather so i'm you know delirious as well at the moment maybe so on painkillers and all sorts did you have that whiskey like I told you I actually thought it probably wasn't a good idea with the (laughs) painkillers I took (laughs) maybe not no (laughs) right let me pick my first one off you go Bethan okay I'm going to start with this one I think this one is from which one did you say was the Simon Young one Joe? seeing fairies I think this is from seeing fairies if not correct me you probably know more than I am I, I do so from from the lost archives of the to give it his full title um seeing fairies met marjorie t johnson because of course she was um you know part of well she was running the fairy investigation society from the lost archives of the fairy investigation society authentic reports of fairies in modern times so this is a story of miss bay kirkledy of london so i'm going to read it just as it is because it's her own words so Here I go. My childhood was spent at Harlow, Essex, in one of the manor house type of dwellings for which the county is well known. When I was about 12 years of age, Edward, our garden boy, who had recently left school and taken up work for us, called me and said he wished to show me something interesting. At the back of the house, we had two kitchen gardens, the newer of the two dividing the older from the orchard. At the orchard boundary, a Christmas tree had been planted and was flourishing. It was simply crowded with fairies about the size of dragonflies, perfectly recognisable as to sex and seemingly quite indifferent to our presence. I remember it was a bright mid-morning in June and the sunshine seemed to enhance their shining, almost luminous appearance. We watched them for some time, a young lad telling me that he had seen them often. He cautioned me not to go too near as the fairies would disappear if we did, so we watched them across a stretch of garden. I should guess that they were about 10 or 12 yards away from them. Our observation was interrupted by a housemaid who was calling me into lunch. Edward told her he was showing Missy the fairies. She said something to the effect that it wasn't unusual and that I'd better not say I'd seen them or grown-ups would not believe me and say I was fibbing. I remember she said to Edward, we often see them, haven't we? Or, or words to that effect. Then she touched her lips with her fingers as if to say, don't let anyone know. When I went back in the afternoon, they had vanished, leaving no trace but that is what I'd seen in the morning and it left a very 
deep impression on me. Mm. So that's her Essex experience. Oh, that's lovely. It's very secret garden. It is. It makes it kind of makes me feel really sad though. I just I mean that one it's kind of don't tell anyone because they won't believe you. You know, we have to you can't can't talk about it. Don't don't even don't even try to talk about it. It's just it's just something it's beautiful because they shared that moment. And mm. you know, this little boy, um, he obviously trusts her enough as well. Mm. He, you know, it sort of talks about their friendship, um, speaks something of their friendship where you know, he obviously really liked this little girl and wanted to um, share something with her. Yeah. And so he's taken her there and I don't know, maybe he was trying to impress her a little bit. We don't know, yeah. do we? And then, um, you know, they've shared this beautiful moment together. And and there's this, I don't know, this uh, sense of loving, lovingness there as well when the maid comes out mm. and she sees, you know, what they're doing and and, you know, sort of tries to, hold the situation by explaining to this little girl that she she mustn't really tell her parents or any grown-ups so that it's just yeah I kind of I mean it's it really have, beautiful it, it could have been their jobs as well that she was worried about like if the little yeah. girl goes running saying they're showing me fairies they might go we don't know if we want that influence on our on Absolutely. our child mm. so it's a really good point isn't it it's a really good point and quite nice oh. that she didn't she didn't discount it she acknowledged that it was oh real. yeah she mm. knows it's real that's the thing that she mm. so she knows they know they're probably well I was going to say they're probably closer to the land they're obviously working with the land she mm. if it's a kitchen garden she's maybe out there perhaps even tending the plants out there and the herbs and wildflowers right and 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 you know looking after at the kitchen garden so maybe she was already very familiar with them the little boy he would be sent to you know dig up the carrots and what have you and the salad and whatever and so he's going to be familiar with outside and it's not that the the whoever was living in the house uh would be removed from nature I'm just being really stereotypical now and imagining that they'd be going riding and things like that. And um, maybe they knew too. Who knows? Maybe mm. they, maybe the people of the house knew, but there's something about that, that there's, there's this kind of divide. We know, and you know, and it's beautiful. And isn't this earth amazing and wonderful? And there's this magic in the world, but we can't talk about it to some people. Yeah. It, it has got, and it's so, as you say, also, it just reminds me so much of Secret Garden, like when Mary befriends Dickon, the boy who spends all his days in the gardens, and his sister is a maid in the house, and she knows what's going on, and like covers for them and helps them. It's it's, it's really Secret Garden. Mm. Yeah, it really dynamics. paints an image. Do you ever find? I mean, they they specifically say a Christmas tree. Have you ever come across Christmas trees or firs as a place? where fairies are seen often in your research Joe? um no more than other trees mm-hmm. um yeah no more than other trees I guess there's something about if they said it was a Christmas tree that's actually it makes me think about that you know that that time of year evokes such joy in children and we take such time to to decorate the tree I mean we keep ours in the garden and then bring it in every Christmas and it's an old friend isn't it comes in mm. and it's changed in the meantime it's hopefully got a bit you know bigger because it's healthy and growing out there and um and then you know you bestow all this love on the tree and I 
I always feel quite sad about putting it back up outside afterwards. Mm. And you know, you get you get it used to going back outside, don't you? So perhaps there's something about the tree, like I say, that evokes these happy memories when families are together. And yeah, it would be interesting to look out to to see whether Christmas trees themselves feature strongly mm. in accounts. I haven't had anyone talk to me specifically about fir trees um, on the podcast. Just trying to think, but they have they have kind of come into the house on on trees. In fact, perhaps one that we might speak about later. Mm. Um, that there's kind of perhaps perhaps a link there. But yeah, there was one where. A woman um, who'd been living in a part of uh, the US, I can't actually remember whereabouts it was now in the US, but it was a very rural part of North America and it had been in her family for generations. And um, But it was only recently that she had begun to see fairies there and they would go between the ivy that was growing outside her house to this huge big, these big tall fir trees that were you know within the property and she knew it wasn't an insect by the way that it moved because it shot she said I've never seen anything move that fast it wasn't like an insect that you know flies around you can tell you know what an insect flies like but this Mm. just shot off and then later she actually saw it in her kitchen it was stuck on the flypaper so then she knew I know so the wing (laughs) The wing was stuck on the flypaper and it was trying to get itself off before she came in the kitchen. And as she walked in the kitchen, she saw it and it managed to detach itself and flew off. This makes me feel really bad about my parents who just bought one of those lanterns that zaps (laughs) bugs for their kitchen. Yeah, well, actually... The, uh, the friend that was with her at the time said, now stop using that, although she didn't see it. She said, stop using those. It's mean. Stop trapping the flies. You know, it, don't do it. <laughs> and she said she didn't use them again. <laughs> but um, I said to her, what do you think it was coming? You know, what, is there anything that could be attracting it? And um, she said that there was, I think she said there was, I think it was honey on the oh. windowsill. She said, oh, actually, I did actually keep some local honey on the windowsill I said well there you are then that that's probably what it was coming in for so that's a traditional offering isn't it and a traditional place to have it as well so she uh, inadvertently was making a little offering and then they were yeah. coming in and getting stuck on the fly paper oh dear yeah. that was a good one it's called the honey bandit that episode yes I remember that episode yes that was brilliant oh do you know yeah. what's what's just you talking about Christmas trees, what's just made it it's just made me think of is that we know where the tradition of putting stars on the Christmas tree comes from. We know where the tradition of putting angels on the Christmas tree comes from. Where does the tradition of putting fairies on the Christmas tree come from? Because I always thought it was a bit like where well, you have an angel on there. So sometimes you call the angel a fairy, but I'm starting to realize they're actually two very different like Mm. things because we had an angel and a fairy and the fairy was very very different to the angel we used to put on the Christmas tree so I wonder if that has some basis back in folklore that's uh, a really nice yeah that's a lovely question actually I wonder if it's just something about the magic of Christmas time um the sugar plum fairy is a very Christmassy 
very Christmas image, isn't it? That's yeah. true. That's true. And, uh, you know, the angel comes with, of course, the religious connotations with Gabriel, whereas the fairy, you know, evokes that childhood magic. And yeah, could could be tied into Sugar Plum Fairy. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, the, the, the Yule side of Christmas, the more mm. back to nature. We've got a weeping angel yeah. from Doctor Who on us. Okay. <laughs> I know somebody who has Darth Vader on theirs. Yes, there's quite a different, you could get different things out of <laughs> Do you want to go next with your story, Elsa? Uh, yeah, if that's okay, unless Joe wants to go. How, how are you feeling? You... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Before her uh, voice gives out. <laughs> yeah, before the voice gives out. Um, my one's going to be a little long because I got really into researching this and I went, I did a deep dive on some background for different parts of this story but I shall I shall try and keep it as quick as possible with uh, minimal coughing and I've only got one screen today so I'm going to try and keep you on my screen no it's not working we're here don't worry yeah just you just remind me every now and again you're still here <laughs> um so when Beth and first suggested the topic of fairies I almost immediately panicked really believed that Essex was barren of this sort of phenom- phenomenon I'd never heard of a fairy sighting in the area for the 30-something years of living here. And I wasn't the only one that held that belief as well. One of the first papers I found on the subject of fairies in Essex was called Folklore Survivals in the Southern Lake Counties and in Essex, a Comparison and Contrast by L.F. Newman and E.M. Wilson. This paper was published in 1952, and it says the following of fairy belief in Essex. A widely spread belief in fairies and folklore is usually developed in districts with a suitably picturesque landscape where the ancestry of the people includes races with an imaginative mentality and a love of legend. None of these conditions hold in Essex. (laughs) It's harsh. It's brutal, isn't it? It gets worse, though. Um, None of these conditions hold in Essex and the fairy law of the county is probably less extensive than any other part of Great Britain. Even attacks of malaria, once so common in Essex, do not appear to have induced fairy visions in spite of the fact that crude opium was taken largely as an anodyne. So it's rather unkind so far, but but wait, wait for this bit. As in other parts of England, the unmanaged... (laughs) This is horrible. Unimaginative men of the eastern counties often drank heavily, but alcohol inclined them to fight rather than dream of small elves, leprechauns or tiny green men. So this is about where I stopped reading this paper uh, because it thoroughly depressed me. (laughs) (laughs) And I went away in a panic trying to figure out how to tackle this subject. However, when I came back to read the rest of the paper, about a week later, it started delivering. So it goes on to tell a story at Stansted Mount Fitchett. A conventional brownie was said to have attached himself to the stables of, um, I'm guessing the writer of this paper, because they don't say who this writer uh, they're referring to is. Um, And he did all the horsekeepers work until one of them hid in the hayloft to see the brownie at work. The little man finding himself detected disappeared forever. Mm. So they said all this stuff, but they they do include that that description of a brownie encounter. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this particular sort of story comes up time and time again that you would have the brownies that would carry out work for the farmers or even in homes for people. But as soon as 
either they're they're found working and seen or if in some cases if you know clothes are left out for them then they take offense and they will leave so yeah that that it's very reminiscent of of fairy stories that i just yeah like the cobbler the elves and the shoemaker yeah that's it yeah um so that was right that was only my first foray into research and that was only a little snippet of what I found because I went on to find something much, much darker. Oh, good. So before I launch into, so that was just a little snippet story. This is my first proper story. Before I launch into this story, I want to talk about the term elementals in relation to gnomes, and it will become clearer why I need to mention this later. An elemental is a mythic being that describes inner cult and alchemical works from around the time of the European Renaissance, and particularly elaborated on by the monks of the 16th, uh, no, hang by the works of the 16th century. I'm going to butcher this name, Paracelsus. So, according to Paracelsus and his subsequent followers, there are four categories of elemental, which are gnomes, undines, sylphs, and salamanders, and these correspond to the the elements of earth, water, uh, air, and fire, respectively. Elementals are said to be able to move through their own elements as human beings move through the air. Gnomes, for example, can move through rocks, walls, and soil. With that in mind, let me tell you the story of Springfield Place. Firstly, the borough of Springfield is just outside of Chelmsford, and it gave its name to Springfield in Massachusetts in America. The original Springfield gets its name from the many springs found in the area, and there is a theory that All Saints Church was built on the site of what was once a pagan sacred spring. So Springfield Place is a Georgian manor right next to the church, and it was inhabited sometime by the Petrie family, and it is from them we get the first recorded incident of an uncanny presence in the building. I found the story in several places, but the most detailed description was in James Wentworth Day's book, Ghosts and Witches. Um, and this first account was written by a descendant of the person who in- had the encounter called Mary Petrie. And it was uh, sent to the newspaper, the Essex Weekly News. One moment, I have to zoom because I had to take this as a, uh, um, a screenshot because the, the book is unavailable. <laughs> in 1894, my grandparents, the Honourable Henry W. Petrie and his wife, Eleanor, went to live at Springfield Place, which they occupied for 21 years. During this period, the ghost was actually seen on one occasion. And I cannot do better than to quote from a book written by their eldest daughter, Mrs. Philip Wesley Coley, formerly Lucy Petrie, in what she says. The old house is called Springfield Lawn, and this on account of the big expanse of mossy lawn in front of the house. There is a magnificent oak staircase with carved banisters, which is quite the feature in the interior of the house. Under this, there is a spacious cupboard having a secret underground little chamber, which may have been a priest's hiding hole. The large bedroom called the Blue Room, or Ghost Room, about which there seems to be a deep mystery, is panelled in oak and painted light blue. High up on one of the walls are hinges of cupboards, which had a mysterious significance for us, but they were never opened in our time. There were some other uncanny things in this old house, such as trapdoors, dark passages and bricked up windows. In August 1868, my grandmother, this is a really complicated name, Walmesley, died in such a saintly death at Ramsgate. Mother was away for a long time nursing her and she had a baby, Nellie, afterwards Lady Young, who was very ill with her, so had double the anxiety. 
Nell was still ill and feverish with her teeth. One night, she was more restless than usual, and mother took her to the blue room so as not to disturb her father. Baby Nell at length made quite content with some hard rusts to gnaw on to help her teeth come through. And then mother began to doze, but a chuckle from the child arose her, and the baby was calling out, Funny man, funny man. Instantly, Mother looked up to see what was the matter and beheld a hideous little man standing with his arms folded and his back to the fire. A momentary act of terror made Mother cover her head with the bedclothes. And then the next instant she sprang out of bed, but the elf had vanished and the baby kept up her funny man and seemed much amused. Mm. Mother searched every cupboard and every cranny, but no trace could she find of the gnome. And she did not like to go and wake up father. So she said a prayer and got quietly back into bed and soon fell asleep. The next morning, we had a count of the whole affair and were not the least surprised at has happened in the blue room, the haunt of ghosts. We pestered father to have all those mysterious cupboards opened whose hinges could be seen high up on the wall. And he laughed and asked us how even an ugly gnome could jump up so high and disappear in an instant through a tightly fastened panel. It was all very fine laughing. We were children, said, but it was most certain that the ogre had his home there. And in future, we had to go on living in the same house with a nasty little gnome just because he could jump high. How the younger children in their fright would scuttle past the blue room door every day, even during the daytime. I only hope that the ghost will leave the present occupants in peace. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's, I mean, what's interesting about that is that the, um, I mean, the baby didn't seem frightened, mm. right? So, no. I mean, if if it was a nasty little elf, then the baby, we, we would expect the baby to have been frightened. It kind of reminds me of, um, there's a similar story in Dermot McManus's book, uh, I think it's The Middle Kingdom, I'm not sure, where there is a baby and a nursemaid, which I think is the mother's niece, and she is kind of helping the mother with the, with the baby and she's there in the nursery and the nanny the, the niece sees this little goblin man and the baby sees it too and so the nanny isn't terrified or anything like that I guess it depends on your response to it we don't mm. know whether she was frightened because uh whether they're frightened because they because it just was a pixie and a really crazy experience to have, or whether it really was a nice pixie. I mean, well, there, there, are... there is more to this story. Okay. Um, so they seem to have had some poltergeist type activity, especially things being dropped on them, um, mostly like little stones. Yeah, this is a thing. Yeah. This Which I thought training. would interest Bethan. <laughs> okay, you've been having you've been having pixie trouble. I have. Is this the time to tell it? Um, Go for it. <laughs> oh, let me just finish by oh, saying okay, the, the bit that interested me about the the connection with the elementals is that they say that he disappeared through the wall, and then it's mm. saying that the gnomes, being elementals, can pass through sort of solid matter, like. Yeah. like that is connected to the earth yeah. and it was all this oak paneling and it it seemed to match up very closely and then you've got the strange thing with the well being the the sacred well being right next door and yeah it, it, when that original paper said about the conditions for fairy sightings and for fairy 
um, stories isn't uh, it is, but you just have to look for it a little bit more carefully. Yeah. Um, anyway, Bethan. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah. Your 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 difficulties you've been experiencing, Bethan. Well, it's 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 nothing horrific. I'm finding it quite funny, really. Um, and the fact that Elsa's actually the, the our connections breaking up now. I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's yeah. It's a, right it's now. a warning <laughs> i'll tell it anyway um it started when i started rewilding because i think we all did that in lockdown just you know oh let's rewild it was a good excuse not to mow and it does look pretty we scattered me and my son we scattered loads of wildflower seeds we marked off areas of the garden not to mow or strim and it really is beautiful we've got foxgloves we've got um a black medic we've got all these little um little herbs and wildflowers growing poppies um, it's gorgeous and we've kept it up and it's still out there now and around this time I started listening to Joe's podcast and I was starting to I remember saying to Joe like when I joined the Facebook group you were really sweet and invited you know said welcome personally and I thought it was lovely and then I remember saying to you oh I'm desperate to have an encounter I keep hearing all these things <laughs> and then, and then things did start happening at first I didn't really pay attention because I think when you want something that much you think you you just think oh it's my imagination but I remember there was this night um, I was at the kitchen door I have a lot of things happen at the kitchen door I have my UFO experience at the kitchen door it's um liminal space it's a good liminal space yes uh, so, because the oven is right next to the door, so I often open it to cool down, and then you've got this view right over my village, and this is vast Essex sky, and it's wow. it's a lovely view. And I shut the door briefly because I don't know why. I think there was a, a wind, and I was trying not to let things fly about a bit. And I heard this scuffling outside. Now, right outside the kitchen door, I've got my herb garden. Um, these old like bricks, I've sort of um, put them. Well, my husband's put them around and we've got parsley, rosemary, thyme, you know, the, all your basics for cooking. We've got a bay tree, um, chives, everything. It's just, you know, I can literally like put my hand out the door and pick it, put it straight in the pot. Lovely. And I heard this scuffling and I was like, what on earth is that? And I opened the door and I saw this figure. It was about, it, it looked like the size of a jacket potato <laughs> with legs. And I remember I sent you a video straight after it happened, Joe, didn't I? Because I didn't know how to describe it. So I videoed mm. the area and said, this happened. And we discussed it. And we, I did wonder, as you said, about a hedgehog, but it had a very different gait. It, it yeah. flew away. I mean, just outside the door, we've got steps down to the lower part of the garden. Well, you know, Elsa, you've seen it. It's, you know, right outside the door, there's those steps. It flew, it didn't go down them. It flew across and then waddled away. And it had a, the gait of someone with two feet, not yeah. four. Feet. I wonder if it was one of those potatoes you lost many weeks ago. That happened after. I'll get to the potatoes <laughs> now because this is where me and the thing has fallen out. Yeah. So it, and it was grumbling. It's, it was going, and I think very much like all the stories you hear, I think it was annoyed it was seen. I think I'd made right. this nice little thing. There's lovely things outside. I had, it was really pretty and, you know, really back to nature and very good life, Barbara, good. And it came to inspect, maybe to approve. And it didn't like the fact that I saw it. And it was an accident, which I keep telling it. And... <laughs> And yeah, ever since then, I've had weird things happening around the house. I've put them down to the podcast a couple of times because we had a, 
an interview with someone, Joe, who had a weird experience on a road in Essex where they found these like sort of bird entrails and rabbit entrails and in this weird shape. And then they were chased and a car fell apart. It was weird. It, oh, my goodness. It, it, it was very creepy, wasn't one. it? Very yeah. sort of like um, the Wicker Man and yeah. um, Robin Redbreast sort of story. <laughs> And as soon as we finished that interview, I went out into the kitchen and I was I brought my laptop in there and I was listening back to it. And as yeah. it got to the bit where he said about the animal to a bird flew into the window. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then that was I thought that's odd. But I went outside to check it was all right. It was fine. Then another one flew into another window. It was all and, and from a different direction. So it wasn't like um, the sun you know, um, glinting on it. And you saw the imprint, didn't you? So I took a picture because you could see this bird like splayed out on the window. Yeah. And I've had things drop on my head all the time. I'm always having things dropping on my head. I'm having little stones. I'm having little sweets. I'm having drops of water to the point where I wondered if we had a leak or something that had burst in the ceiling. And then we get to the potatoes. Are you still there, Joe? I think we've had a dodgy connection. It's the, it's the it's the pixie it's the it's the brownie I tell you. Oh, just thinking about what you were saying was. Do you remember I found that dead uh, bird? Uh, oh, you're back. It's because I've stopped talking about it. Every time I talk <laughs> about it, something's going wrong. Right, I'm going to get this out while the yeah. connection's there because it knows I'm getting to the potato. The screen bit. has stalled. I am here. Can you hear me? Can yeah, me? we can hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. So. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, it was my husband's birthday and Elsa was around so she can tell you the panic I was in. I planned this lovely sort of like um, salady bits. I did lots of like little um, party food and everything. And the Tesco order had arrived the night before. And I remember distinctly thinking, oh, lovely, the new potatoes to make my lovely potato salad. I love making potato salad. It's like the best thing about a barbecue. Yeah, nice. And I put them to one side. I remember putting them to one side. And the next day, could I find those damn potatoes? No. I searched everywhere. I even thought, am I having a weird moment where I put them in the freezer? I checked all the cupboards. I've checked everywhere. Then I looked looked as well. I even checked your kids' bedrooms in case they'd wandered off with a bag of potatoes for some (laughs) strange reason. Yeah, my husband checked the studio. I checked bags. I checked everywhere. They have gone and I just have this feeling that it's <laughs> it took my potatoes Joe. yeah yeah I mean have you have you tried just having a chat with them and saying I mean firstly with the podcast you were saying that you the podcast interview I I know what I know what that feels like if you've listened to something really spooky it kind of stays with you Mm. and I sometimes what? it's good to um oh you're still there oh, oh sorry it's the yeah, we're still now yeah <laughs> um sometimes it's really good to sort of ground or clear afterwards firstly because because I, I I did a an interview once and I mean an amazing um person that I was speaking to and um you know very fond of them as well but that what they were telling me was so creepy that it stayed with me really heavily for you know up to maybe about a week so that with with the bird flying into the window to, to you know happening on two occasions well, it wasn't really creepy that wasn't the only bird related thing we had happening as well yeah because um I was out doing research 
um, for one of our episodes, not long after the listener interview we did. Yeah. And I was uh, at a place that was had a lot of things around it. Like there was a lot of uh, magical practice and uh, possibly um, some not so good magical practice going on there. Uh, but I came across outside of a church, a burnt a husk of a tree standing upright. And when I went around the corner to look at it properly out before it was very similar to, to our listener story, this bird that had been beheaded and splayed in front of it. Um, and it immediately made Blimey. me think of that story. That's really creepy, isn't it? Mm. That's very dark. Yeah. I would definitely pay attention to that. And, you know, um, you know, whilst I'm uh, interested in these kind of things from a folklore point of view, I'm also interested in them from a sort of ritual and magic perspective as well. So I would say, you know, using well, blue light, white light for protection and, and, and imagining it around your home. So, you, you know, you can do it as a matter of course, when you go to bed every night, you can be lying in bed and then you imagine, imagine like a brilliant blue light or a white light going around the boundary of your home wherever that you decide that that is um and perhaps over the top and under as well if you like but just to perhaps do a bit of clearing in whichever way you'd like to do that but if you feel it's it's if you feel like you can maybe have a chat with this being as long as you don't feel it's something really dark and you're frightened of you know trust your instinct is what i'm trying to say trust your instinct but um, it feels mischievous Yes, it does sound very mischievous. Is it trying to get your attention? Is it trying to tell you something? So you could, um, I don't know if you ever get the house to yourself. It's hard, isn't it? When you're a mum and you've got kids there and it's really hard to get time to ourselves, isn't it? But if you ever did get some time to yourself alone in the house, then maybe you could light a candle. Um, again, a kind of a method of protection, but also a sort of um, focus on reflection. And um, you light your crystals, don't you? So you could bring some of your crystals around you and you could just say, right, I'm listening. You know, what's going on? Who are you? And just trust what you're getting and write it down. Even if you think it sounds absolutely ridiculous and you think, oh, I'm just making this up now. doesn't matter. Stop thinking, write it down. Okay. Just try not to connect in with the thought process, but rather just sort of let that flow go, you know, sort of, um, like automatic writing. writing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. So just try that and see if you feel led to leave an offering somewhere or could you buy them some potato? Could you grow some potatoes? Maybe we that's are. what they want. We're in the loads. You are. are you growing new potatoes? Yeah. We're growing new potatoes, sweet potatoes, I, d- I just imagine this gnome is is like Samwise Gamgee now is potatoes. <laughs> they're after those potatoes. Maybe they like. Maybe they don't like the ones you're growing outside, and they've gone in for the. I don't know. A different get, type getting, of getting impatient. Just yeah. they, they wanted some fresh potatoes. They went after yeah. my organic Tesco's finest value. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I'll and then that. <laughs> I did just have another weird bird experience. I had a bird. So I, I live in a flat um, yeah. in a very old building and it has old chimney breasts that are blocked off. And I had a bird fall down this bloody chimney breast on Aww. Saturday. Uh, thankfully, there's a vent in it. Yeah. Uh, so we managed to get the vent off. Unfortunately, I'm bloody terrified of things flying at my head. 
so I was really, and I wasn't well, so I was really no help. I had to get my neighbor and my, and her dad to come around and, and heard this bird out of the window, but the chimney's meant to be blocked. Like it's not, the, it's on the top of it. It's not yeah. meant to be able to get down there. So I mentioned it to Beth and she's like another bird thing. Exactly. Do you know what kind of a bird it was that came it, in? It was a pigeon. It was the a same pigeon. as my bird. I've still got mar- sooty marks on the ceiling yeah. from where it hit the ceiling several times. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, birds are messengers from the gods, aren't they? So something, something's trying to get a message to you. You could, you could play with that idea and see where that leads you um pigeons do like to nest up on roofs and in chimney unused chimney pots as well we've we've had a bit of that here yeah because they kind of coo down the chimney don't they i don't know if you're like me you've got one of the fireplaces in in the you know an unused fireplace in the bedroom and let's hang on i can turn my camera it's behind that bureau so it's completely that's the breast of the chimney there it's completely blocked off so there's no no fireplace there just a little vent underneath and um, right. but the top of the chimney has I mean I've lived here for several years now that I've never had that happen before the top of the chimney is blocked yeah. or supposedly blocked but something going on then isn't there yeah something going on just to point out look how good our connection is now we've stopped talking about my brownie <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I think some kind of offering is in order and just just have a play with it and and try different things just be led by what what you what you feel is instinctively rather than sort of you know going by what, what else what else is written in a book or what mm. somebody tells you I think just I always think is you know you'll know the best course of action I'll let you know what happens do do you have a story Joe in relation to Essex well yeah. fairies. I mean if it's Essex great if it's not I mean whatever yeah I like so there's a few that there's a few uh, I really like this one so I can read you the whole thing if you like have I written down the page number basically this woman from Northern Ireland uh, she has um, an Essex uh, her husband's from Essex and they are walking in Witham 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 it's called pronounced Witham okay so they're walking in Witham and they are walking around something called the walk, which they later found out it was the monk's walk. It was where the monks used to walk to the abbey on, yes. in this place. And there's a line of very, very old trees. And I think some of them are a bit rotten from memory and things like that. Quite, you know, those very characterful trees that you sometimes find. Sort of, this reminds me a little bit of Brian Froud's drawings in fact illustrations so she happens to look inside one of the a hole of one of these trees and sees a several little kind of goblin sounding characters she describes them as having grotesque faces now in there in that hole as well she sees a little woman with a welsh hat her husband has something like a walking stick or perhaps he picks up a stick from the ground. Anyway, he starts poking a stick inside the hole because she's saying to him, like, this is what I can see. He doesn't believe her. He thinks she's messing around. He starts poking a stick inside and she immediately has a go at him. She's absolutely horrified. You know, stop it. You're, you know, don't you dare poke them with that stick. And at that point, he realizes that she is actually being serious. And he backs off. So she gets home. She, at some point, which is, I find this really funny, she apologizes for the fact that her husband is from Essex. Yes. 
she 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 was she was saying she was saying um I'm so sorry he's from Essex it's very much like what we mentioned what I mentioned in the start of my story about that uh that yeah. paper that was like oh the Essex don't really know fairies yeah it's just I mean obviously you know she's from Northern Ireland in Ireland there's a very different you know obviously the they're very close to the fairy law. And so she's trying to explain to him, look, you know, he doesn't know. He's from Essex. He, you know, just forgive him, forgive him. But anyway, they go to have lunch and she boils him up an egg and it's bad when he goes to eat it. So she boils him up another one and that one's bad too. And she said, now the funny thing is that in the rest, of, they'd never before or since in their lives had a bad egg, and there he had two in one go. So you know that was something making their uh, displeasure known um, in no uncertain terms. Yeah, I thought that that was that was a great one, really. And of course, these this is a story from seeing fairies, the Marjorie T. Johnson collected ones. Mm. And in fact, that story was written to, it was written into the Whittam and Whittam and Braintree press or yes. something like that. It was the local press at the time. I All these stories. The story. I tried to find yeah. the newspaper, but unfortunately, the Whittam and other um, Braintree and Whittam Express isn't on there. Ah, oh, I wonder if it'd be possible to get hold of a copy. I'll see if I can try and find something. If I do, I'll, I'll send it over. But I mean, all of these stories were mostly from around the middle of the 20th century, because this is when she was collecting these stories yeah. um, around the mid 50s. So some of them are sort of from the 20s, people remembering back, some even further, but uh, a lot of them are around that, that era. But that one reminded me a bit of what I thought was interesting about that was the Welsh hat that's described as being on the fairy and Welsh type hat. Now, I don't know if you've listened to episode um, The Good, The Bad and The Tickly on the podcast. Yes. Right. So did you spot that as well? Because in, the, um, in that one, our guest talks about having gone out in nature and she was having a really hard time at the time and she sat down beneath this tree and she was telling the tree her deepest you know sorrows and letting it all out to the tree and when she i think it's when she stood up to go she saw the branch of from another tree it was mm. you know branch had fallen down and it had some leaves on it i can't i don't know if it was a cherry tree i can't remember what kind of tree it was now but anyway it was so pretty that she brought it home it may have still had blossom on it or something like that something about it she felt like it was a gift mm. she was going to bring it home so she brought it home she pops it on her dressing table and later that evening she sees a light where that branch uh, you know the the twig with with a bit of leaf or blossom or whatever it was on it there's a light there and from the dressing table that little light that orb uh, rises comes floating over the room where she's lying in bed and she's watching this the whole time and it comes down to her face and it changes into this little fairy who has a welsh style hat so a very mm. particular look it is. Very it's, it's very recognisable. It's also very yeah. like the um, witches' hats. The witches' hats, but yeah, okay. specifically the ones that were used for the the women who sold uh, beer, the ale. Mm. Um, the ale wives. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I was wondering about the image of the fairy wearing these hats. I just wondered where that came from. Do 
did those style of hats come from people seeing fairies wearing those hats or did the vibe of those that were wearing those hats whether it be the traditional welsh costume or otherwise the the beer um you know sellers pourers yeah i, I just find that that that's a, a really interesting connection well it's where it's funny because the witch ended up with that hat because the church was demonizing the alewife because it was a woman making her own money being independent and self-sufficient and they often use depictions of the alewives in doom paintings in churches being tormented by the devils or like dancing with the devils to kind of bring home that image of like how these women were evil and yeah so possibly it's something maybe the image of the fairy wearing it because fairy encounters and aren't there's a lot of them that aren't particularly pleasant mm. um so I wonder if it kind of carried through. Why do you say that about the church? Because yeah. I found um, I found a paper when I was having a look for this, and perhaps another reason why Essex doesn't have that many fairy encounters going back in time. I'll get it up now. It was really, really interesting. Bear with. Was that the one I was, was talking that- about earlier? The one that was because I think I remember that from that that paper. It does go on later on to say. Oh, another reason why Essex doesn't have fairies is no, it's a different one. This was, was it um, the Witch's Familiar and the Fairy in Modern England and Scotland um, by Emma Whitby, mm. and she was talking about how witches' familiars. If you take away the demonic description, you're left with what sounds an awful lot like fairy encounters and brownie encounters, mm. and she puts forward that. A lot of these familiars, like Vinegar Tom and all these well-documented familiars of so-called witches in Essex and East Anglia, that they were actually fairy encounters and the church just leapt on it. Uh, and Matthew Hopkins, um, boo hiss, boo hiss. <laughs> not Anthony Hopkins, as we really must point out, because <laughs> when we talked about how much we didn't like um, Matthew Hopkins, another podcast, accidentally thought we said Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> We're very fond of Anthony, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not Matthew. It brings um, a, a horrible new spin onto the Wallace the Island ape story, actually, really if you does. think about that being a fairy encounter. Well, actually, I've started going back and looking at all these like demonic encounters, and I wonder how many of them were just spun to make them sound like that because it was a good way of of decrying it i I found just before Mm. we started this podcast i this episode i found something so we were researching this right until the hilt weren't we also yeah so i'll read (laughs) a bit from her paper now so despite the sensationalism of promising the soul renouncing christianity and sucking blood the most common payment given to the english animal familiar often in conjunction with blood was ordinary food Sometimes familiars demanded what could be seen as some sort of sacrifice, like a chicken, but more often than not, it was a bowl of bread, milk, ale, water, honey, so on. And this tradition is particularly evident in trial records from the southeastern counties, such as the Essex witch Elizabeth Francis claimed in 1566 she had been given a familiar called Satan, (laughs) bit on the nose, Mm -hmm. in the likeness of a white-spotted cat and that her grandmother taught her to feed the said cat with bread and milk. And if she didn't, it would become a trickster. I think that sounds like a brownie. Yeah. 
Yeah, they do. I mean, it's a bit like with UFOs and fairies, you know, ideas of demons, familiars and fairies. It's it's really, it's almost like it's, well, it's very similar energies in different guises, basically. I mean, we're dealing with otherworldly beings, otherworldly creatures. All of those ritual offerings that you just talked about are the kinds of offerings that we'd make to fairies. They're the kind of offerings that we'd make at mag- magic rituals, you know, places like stones and dolmens, if you were giving an offering to nature. So, yeah, there is this, you know, there's going to be that blur. And you're absolutely right that these connections with nature were completely demonized Mm. and still are to a certain degree. You know, you had the the whole, even in the modern sort of satanic panic and, Mm. you know, there's, it goes on, doesn't it? The more that we connect with nature, the freer we are and the less inclined we are to get whipped up in whatever it is that we're being sort of funneled towards in our lives, the get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home or go to school. You know, the 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 time that we have for exploring and musing and creating and sharing becomes less and less and less because we're being, you know, fast track every day, aren't we? Trying to squeeze it all in and and for children then going to school often. I was just listening to something earlier actually, um, sort of talking about how homeschooling is just I mean, I've never homeschooled my kids, but it's something I've thought about. Because otherwise they're going into schools and they're being told, you know, no, that's not real. That's just your imagination. And Mm. they get to a certain age and then it's not appropriate for them to be talking about those things anymore that they might have talked about when they were younger or, you know. So, yeah, the demonizing of these ideas still, it's either very sort of overt or it's quite subtle and we're just used to shushing people Mm. or people being shushed and then we don't sort of kind of say anything about it or that we expect it so yeah just to go on a mini rant rant. about (laughs) about the government the successive Tory governments have completely stripped funding from the arts and schools absolutely completely just draining the creativity out of those early years for children is just horrendous as well and that also then takes away that imaginative side it does it's heartbreaking it really is yeah I know I know even for the older ones as well and definitely for the younger ones too but you know for for the for our young people that want to go on and study um at uni yeah the the funding is just not there that is I I work at university so that um in the creative arts so I'm seeing what the Tories started when they first got in come to fruition now it is absolutely dreadful um situation across so many universities losing their their arts courses yeah um because children weren't introduced to it you know 10 10 years ago or something who who goes next (laughs) I've got um a little one and it sort of connects gnomes and fairies gnomes and fairies yeah in in one fell swoop yeah and I've also got and Elsa's very excited about it an erotic one yeah Mm. We don't is that the one those. from is that the one from the census? <laughs> yes, it is. That's a really funny one, isn't it? There's some, some oh well, and the, the 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 um actually I was thinking it so there's that one. There's that one, but there's also he sounded like a 
some kind of magic magic worker. Didn't a ritual they? worker, yeah. A Are you thinking worker. of the person who weed in a bush? I was thinking of the, the man that weed in the bush as well. That was really funny. Oh no, <laughs> well, I am thinking. Yeah, he was the one that was. But the other two, they, him and his girlfriend. It sounded like they were. This magic marks the, the second time both eroticism and we have been mentioned on Eerie Essex. <laughs> oh God, it has. <laughs> Two separate stories, Elsa. Two separate stories. They're separate. separate. I'll just I'll just tell this little one first about the gnomes and the fairies, and then I'll get onto the good stuff. (laughs) So this is a story of Mrs. Rose from Southend on Sea, and she talked about how she has always seen fairies, and she saw them constantly under the shrubbery by the sea edge. She said they congregated around the trees, they floated around the trees, and those were the fairies. And then she would see gnomes come up. And they would protect them. So the gnomes were, uh, she described them as little old men with little green caps and their clothes were generally this sort of like neutral green. And the fairies themselves were more like, well, miniature elves and Lord of the Rings, very, you know, beautiful and draped fabrics and very floaty. And she always saw them in pairs like that. Mm, and that's, that's lovely. I thought that was really sweet. They, they like, because you never, you don't really hear that often, like gnomes and fairies together. No, it struck me recently when I was talking to um, the guest on a tree um, and two sons. What was it? It was tree, tree something and two sons. Oh, is it tree healing or something like that? Let me just look it up a second. Yeah. Because Please, sorry, my um, cat is attacking my. Uh, he's attacking his own tree because I use it as my laptop stand. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not having an earthquake. Yeah, that she she was. A tree teacher, mm. so tree teacher and two sons. Where, as a little girl, she had gone to this nature reserve, and um, she was speaking to the the tree. It's a really beautiful story that one. She'd kind of gone off on a boat with family friend, and they were they were a fisher fisher fishing family, and then um, they dropped them off in this little island, which they probably shouldn't have done because it was a nature reserve. But they were just kids; they were just playing. And uh, she goes up, finds a tree at the top of this little hill while they're playing hide and seek. And um, <clears throat> at this tree, she has this amazing sort of life changing, life affirming conversation with the wise tree. But at that point, um, what she describes as an elf and a gnome appears. Ooh. So the gnome, yeah, the gnome, she said the main conversation she was having was actually with the tree, but the gnome and the fairy, the sort of elf-like looking being were, were there too. And I'm sure there was a third creature, but I can't remember what that was. But I thought, oh, that's interesting to have the gnome and the fairy together because the gnome... Mm. She felt the gnome was something to do with the tree because gnomes are usually, you know, they're to do with the earth. So, you know, as we're mm, talking elemental. about Paracelsus, yeah, and mm. having a, this sort of earth elemental. And then the uh, the ones floating that you're describing, they're floating around the tree. Maybe they're air if they're next to the sea. Are they to do with the sea? I don't know. Yes. But also that sort of reminds me of the, um, there was another one about fairies floating around a tree um the west west cliff west cliff on sea we have one in colchester as well a fairy sighting Mm -hmm. around a tree um in the 1960s i think just uh not too far away from uh here down mersey road i think was it molden road fairies and trees it's odd i i was listening to the have you heard of the hidden gin um podcast oh yes i have yeah i was listening oh it's really 
recommend it to anybody listening. It's so lovely to hear these tales and this sort of um, folklore from another culture. Yeah. Um, and the 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 host, I can't remember her name now, but she's absolutely spellbinding. And she was in conversation with another Muslim lady who, and they were just talking about all the different folklore they heard from their grandparents as they were growing up. Oh, fab. And yeah. one of the things they both heard was that you shouldn't go out in late evening with your hair untied because if you walked by a tree these creatures or elementals would hang onto your hair and come into your home with you oh that's lovely isn't it that's lovely <laughs> and yeah so trees yeah. and coming into the house yes it, it, it crosses cultures yeah yeah there's the one in Westcliff, which you said is Westcliff on sea did you mm. So those were so that was 1921. They were she described them as colourless, but they were in these trees anyway. And she's there with her nine-year-old son and her eleven-year-old son. And she can see them, but she doesn't say anything to her sons. But then one of her sons can see them because because the, the nine-year-old then says, Oh no, I'd I'd like to get away from here now. And she said, Why is that? And he says, Well, you know, I can see these fairies in the tree. And she said, oh, you can see them too. He could see them. But the 11-year-old couldn't see them. That is so interesting. I love anything yeah. where there's like multiple witnesses. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't describe, she said that they were colourless, but you could tell that the the jacket was darker than the trousers or, the, or vice versa. But she couldn't get a, a colour on them. I wonder if the sun could. She didn't mention that, but yeah, if I were interviewing her, I'd want to ask the sun what he saw. And again, uh, so the sun was nine. Is there something about you know turning slightly older than that age and and losing the ability uh, mm. to see? Perhaps when these your pineal gland fairies? is too busy pumping out hormones, it doesn't see right. anymore. It's too busy doing something else. Maybe. Yeah. Seems to be around yeah, like like that sort of. It, when you look at younger people and their encounters, they turn more from magical to if they ha- if there is anything. Teenagers are very very common with poltergeist. Yeah, or, yeah, that's right. The hormonal um, when they're going through puberty, definitely, definitely around that age. Well, yeah. definitely, some fairies seem to like hormonal because I do have, as I say, True. the story, the erotic fairy story (laughs) we've been building up to this moment it's a great one and again the way some of these are described are just fantastic aren't they because it's just well I've lost you both hang on there you are it's like when uh I was talking about Jane Pullen during the Rhodes episode it's her own dialect made that story just a wonderful little tale like on that UFO them lasers were well up yeah (laughs) Let me find it now. Content warning. No, it's not that bad. (laughs) So it doesn't say where exactly this was, but it was in Essex. And this was from the census. This was in the the 2000s, the noughties, in a woodlands. I really like how they lay it out with the the census because they they describe a lot of things. Um, And there's one thing, I don't know if you can clarify this, Joe, but a lot of the time it says, it, it describes an emotion or it says no fairy feeling. Is that does that just mean they sensed it, or is there a particular emotion? They would have been asked, "Did you have a sense of? Did you get a sense of anything?" And, and a lot of the time, some of them will say, um, oh, "I felt a chill before," or "I had 
mm. you know, a sense of a warm feeling or a tingle or that's what that would be describing, uh, well, yeah. That's what they describe here. So they were extremely happy, but they had this sense of a loss of time and there was a profound silence before the experience. Yeah. And they had their hair prickling and tingling um, before and after and a sense that the experience was a display put on specifically for them and they remember it in such vivid detail. So I'll just, I'll, this is how they described it. Myself and my then girlfriend in 2004 were having sex deep in a forest where we found a glade where we both saw at first two lights followed by another six. As we were both occultists, we stopped and went to look closer. It turned out to be a large oak tree that they were flying around and I got the sense that they were dryads by the energy. I think they may have come due to what was happening. And <laughs> it says in brackets, sex? I've heard of this happening before and they also heard panpipes. Yeah, wow. I do. I do think that um, fairies are attracted by, you know, lust, uh, love, strong emotions. Mm. They're attracted by that. I mean, that's what makes the world go around, I guess, isn't it? It's that it's what makes the makes our plants grow. It's just that is what makes our world bloom, isn't it? And and creates us and everything we see around us. So there's that sort of vibe of a creative energy I would mm. say and fairies do seem to there's quite a lot of, of fairies turning up in those kind of situations so had they do you think they had gone there specifically for that kind of like they were having sex in the woods as like an occult ritual then it doesn't say or were they not just necessarily they you were know not everyone just... goes and has sex in the woods because of a cult ritual but he does specifically mention that they were occultists I mean, they were probably just, well, I don't know, possibly they could have been, but I guess more likely that they're used to being outdoors and, uh, you know, with each other. And it's a nice thing to do mm. if you uh, know that you're not going to be disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, I guess the fairies were there they would they would probably have been open to something like that happening it doesn't necessarily suggest that that's what they were trying to invoke in any way but just that they noticed it uh, so I wonder how many times it's not noticed I've got to say that I can't imagine anything more off-putting that situation than pan pipes <laughs> pan pipes yeah oh my goodness there is a fair hilarious Near Colchester, I can't remember. I think I got off a paranormal database, but I remember reading it and thinking, "Isn't that that well-known dogging spot?" Oh no! Yeah, there there is there was one well-known, or it used to be well-known. I think it's been developed in recent years, but it was a well-known spot for that kind of thing. Yeah. Who Do you knows? know what? Someone should survey doggers then, shouldn't they? Really, because. <laughs> Because there could be this kind of rich data out there that you yeah. know none of us have even considered. So this there you are, whole, someone that's someone's PhD paper. there. I, I want this story ties in within a video I want to show you both of you. Mm. That's very interesting. So I followed on with the gnomes uh, angle, and uh, I came across a story in a book that I absolutely love because it was my first book that I found on ghosts and the paranormal when I was a, a child in school it's uh Betty Puttick's Ghosts of Essex fabulous name. which I believe the lawmen uh know very well for some reason the lawmen are all over okay. that one yeah they love I think they like the name Betty Puttick well they do have a scoring system for names don't they yeah so in 1982 
two little girls went into the playing field near Jaywick's Frobrushes Primary School, not far from Clacton. They were walking along to play in their camp in an overgrown ditch at the end of the field. And when they would suddenly notice two strange dwarf-like creatures ahead, they resembled little old men with long white beards and pointy hats, and they were about three feet tall. They appeared to be busily digging a hole with very old-fashioned looking spades. They had obviously not seen the two girls who stood watching and were quite uh, the two girls were quite scared by the strange spectacle. The girls retreated slowly and continued to watch from further off. At some point, the two gnome-like figures disappeared, although the girls did not actually see them go. And although they waited for some time, the little men did not come back. The girls then cautiously crept back to where they had seen the little men digging. And despite a search there, there was no sign of any hole, but both were absolutely certain of what they had seen. Oh, that's fabulous. I love that. It's similar to the We in the Hedge story. Is it? Yeah. Before you watch the video, do you want me to just give you a snippet of it? It's a very short one. It's like four lines. Yeah. It'll give me a chance to catch up on my thoughts because I was about to say something and then I lost it. (laughs) That's fine. Are you going to show me a picture of a man weeing in the bush? Because I could see that any Saturday night. (laughs) So this is in the 80s and this is a camp near Farm Hedge Row. And it was uh, around 3 a.m. And this person had had the occasional supernatural experiences, but not really much. He puts it down, I think, from what he says to like sleep paralysis and things like that or a hypnagogic state. Uh, He says he was camping near the moors with a group one night and I had nature's call, but didn't want to walk the distance to the porter potties. (laughs) It was late. So instead, I went directly behind my tent to the hedgerow to take a leak. As I prepared to uh, unleash, so... (laughs) Suddenly, right in front of me, when I looked down, appeared silhouetted a small shape with his hands on his hips. I could see it by a faint light coming through a very large hole behind him in the hedgerow. I got the impression that he was angry. This scared me, and needless to say, I could not do what I intended. And slowly backing away, I quickly apologized, sincerely believing I had almost pissed on one of the wee folk. Uh, got fast back to my tent and spent the next couple of hours of the night casting protective circles and wards around me in my tent. In the morning, upon waking, I immediately searched the hedgerow for the large hole, but could find none. It was humanoid, the size of a toddler, but couldn't see really anything apart from its silhouette, which was framed by a strange light. It didn't feel like the encounter with the dead or anything. And then just goes, says, don't mess with them. They will kick your ass and enjoy doing so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's very interesting, actually, because the story, the story I was going to cut was um, this one from Broxted. Um, which is very starts off very similar to the story I told mm. about Jaywick, but um, it goes into more detail to say that uh, not only were they seen quite often digging, but they were often blamed for the uh, breaking down of tractors, uh, again the throwing of small stones, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed that. Uh, the whole area was kind of plagued by them. But instead of the villagers feeling like terrified or threatened of them, they're quite pleased to have them. They like this mischievous behaviour. They find it, you know, endearing and funny. So they just kind of, you know, exist alongside of uh, of these little mischievous gnomes who are uh, occasionally just break down their tractors or throw throw things at them. Oh, that's, that's um, great. But, so after, after I finished looking at the Jaywick story, I wondered if there's any other things that had been seen there. And I was going through Reddit and there was somebody who'd asked, where's the best place to see fairies? And there was a long list and there were all things like Devon, Tintagel, all the places you'd expect. 
And then somebody, just one word at the bottom, had put Jaywick. Oh. So that got me interested. And then I found something else that had happened in Clacton, um, which is just next to Jaywick. Uh, and this is this is interesting. I think I, I think I could debunk this, but I actually love this video, so I'm just going to share it to you. So this woman uh, was camping in Clacton, and on her ring doorbell, she caught this very unusual sight. I'll just play it for you. We'll put this video a link for it in our um, description. I'll show notes. I've got it actually. Oh, you found it? Yeah, I I had shared it to the um, I shared it to the group. And I'd said, is there any consensus on what type of insects these are? Because those kind of videos are popping up everywhere. Some people send them to me as well from places all around the world when they've captured them on their doorbell oh, camera wow. things. Oh. And Laura Coulson, who's a fairy folklorist, who also wrote in Magical Folk, um, said, a lot of the time, I think it's St. Mark's flies as they fly with their legs. Oh, here we go. Is it, is it doing it? They fly with their it's legs dangling. There. Oh, and look yeah. slightly human shaped they're mostly so, around april to june though so can't account for all, all the photos i wondered whether it was a I've, I've seen them before uh these massive massive lunar moths oh yeah yeah we get them in this yeah we do because you know I've, I've seen them in wales actually bethan and you know how terrified i am of moths because those um ring doorbelly things they've often got a little light on them haven't they so it attracts them yeah mm. so it could be attracting them hang on i'll send it to you bethan and uh it'll be easier i'm and gonna watch Joseph it again now it. yeah i can i'm gonna play it again now just to remind myself i saw something on my own funny enough because i was looking out to see what sort of wildlife was in the garden i'm not sure if i i probably kept a little short video of it I've just watched it again. They are they are interesting videos because you think, what on earth when you look at it? Um, oh, God, yeah. Yeah. That looks so much like the one. Do you remember when um, we got involved with the chat with the guitarist from Echo and the Bunnymen? Oh, yes. On Twitter. Yeah. That's almost exactly what he had in his house. In his house. Yeah. Interesting. I guess the thing... <sighs> I mean, they are really intriguing and I'm not saying that all of them hmm. can be explained, but my, and I, and I don't know if this is right, I'm just saying what I kind of instinctively feel is that we see them through our third eye. So yes, we see them with our eyes open. Yes, we're seeing them. We're actually seeing them. Hmm. But I don't think personally, I'm not convinced that cameras can pick them up hmm. on different or videos. So, but like I said, I could be completely wrong and I, I don't know. Who knows? I just, I just love that little video because it just, if you're on the sceptical side, it kind of makes you go, well, that is, you could see that being a moth or you could see that being that. And then it's, it opens a whole nother door of like, what insects are we missing? What things have we kind of lost along the way that created the folklore originally. I mean, I I sit on the sceptical side, but I'm open-minded and I love seeing things like that, that kind of will cause that disbelief for a moment. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I think oh, it's really hard, isn't it? Because when we experience something or you know, we know someone that has experienced something, we're so sort of tied to 
being able to say, look, it's true. This is the thing. There it is. There it is. It's like we have to sort of, we feel like sometimes we have to produce the evidence in order to mm-hmm. say, you know, it is true. And I think that personally, I feel that that we can actually let go of that. We don't need to be able to to prove it. If you've had an experience, you know, you know what you've seen and you might not, you know, you might not have anybody to talk to about that. And the people that you do know might never believe you. And that's really hard, but you know what you saw and experienced and nobody can ever take that away from you. And, you know, that could have been, she may well have seen fairy Mm. in in that and you know I could be entirely wrong it's about what that experience means to you and if Mm. as you say that kind of opens you up then to looking at the world in a different way then I think yeah job done in that in that respect because that moment in that moment you're filled with wonder and you I, I think that that is the important part of living is to experience wonder in this world that is what's important and that's something that children do naturally and let's try and encourage them to keep that too and let's not lose it ourselves so that's why even though I I I, you know I'm sort of a little bit skeptical that's why I'd never put somebody off because it's those moments of wonder that kind of make life worth worth living aren't aren't they absolutely yeah yeah that's a really nice probably nice bit to end on (laughs) Unless do you have anything else you want to share? No, just I've really enjoyed the chat. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been really good. And there are tons of, um, because I I was thinking, uh, why isn't there a chapter in Magical Folk on Essex? There really should be. Maybe there is by now, actually, because I know there was a second edition of Simon and Kerry's book, Magical Folk. I'm not sure whether the second edition. One of the reasons we we kind of started the podcast is because we felt Essex was often overlooked for this sort of thing. Mm. Like we obviously have the reputation of Towie and the Essex girl and things like that. But then we seemingly have lost that connection we used to have to the myth and folklore. I mean, I'm not saying that Towie and the Essex girl are any are a bad thing, but it's kind of become the only thing we're known for. So having eerie Essex is kind of trying to grab some of that history back yeah and it's a good yeah it's a good job you're doing as well and yeah I'm um, interested to to know what else is out there as I think Essex does seem to be rather a hot spot and I mean there's so much history there because you know the Epping Forest um, and the forests around there they were very much um, as far as I'm aware anyway I don't know too much about it but they were very well used with royalty weren't they they were Mm -hmm. hunting hunting forests and I keep coming across instances of fairies being seen in those kind of uh, locations that have been um, frequented by Epping Forest has got massive history. Oh yeah, we did Epping Forest on a one, one episode. It is so dark in there. Mm. It horrible. The, the fairy encounters are quite light that I found in there, but the rest of it is it's a I was thoroughly depressed after researching it, wasn't I? Yeah, I was worried about you when, <laughs> when you were telling me about it because we don't tell each other what stories we're going to share before we share them. Okay. And then as she was telling me, I was like, "Bethan, are you sure you're okay to do this? You don't look like you're doing well <laughs> yeah. I was okay afterwards I watched copious amounts of Parks and Rec <laughs> this it is it yeah de- debrief a bit and um <laughs> that's the bit actually that I mean by you know part of part of the grounding is to definitely do things like that just to sort of bring you back into this world again and yeah sometimes you need to 
So if anybody who's listening to this has a story, a particular fairy encounter they'd like to share, can they get in touch with you, Joe? Oh, yes, I'd love that. Uh, I think my contact form is finally fixed. I've had this ongoing saga with my contact form on the website, which is scarletofthefay.com. If you just look up the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, you should be able to find me. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at underscore remain underscore curious. The podcast itself, uh, Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, is on Apple and Spotify and Google and all the uh, apps. And so you can contact me directly at scarletofthefay at gmail.com. That's scarlet with two T's, scarletofthefay at gmail.com or through the contact form on the website. But yeah, I'm always really happy to hear from people and love, yeah, I just love talking to people about their experiences, really. The um, podcast itself, the the moment this series has been talking to other, other researchers quite a bit as well. So that's been fun. But um, there's lots more to share. And so I've got lots of exciting stuff in the pipeline. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of a big project called the Modern Fairy Sightings Project. And as you uh, said at the beginning, Bethan, it's providing people with the space to share and also um, for other people to hear those stories from first-hand experiences in, in the words of people's own words, really. And another part of the project, which is important, is, is really sort of getting people together. So if I hear from one person and they've had a certain kind of experience I will put them in touch with somebody else that might have had something similar so people don't feel alone and on that note we've also got Patreon of course and our group there is a really lovely community and it is mostly full of people like myself who have had experiences and just kind of want a safe space to talk about those and we do all sorts of things. We've got our Discord so we can chat and we do a monthly Zoom chat and then have lots of bonus episodes on there. And at the moment, I'm doing a monthly podcast episode for the main podcast because I'm focusing on research as well. I'm also doing one every fortnight for the Patreon group and another little extra one for them. Every time I do a main episode on the, the main podcast, I do them a little extra one as well. So yeah, we we kind of delve a bit deeper. Yeah, but it's it's all really good and I'm loving what I'm doing and there's just something something in the air with it because there's lots of us who are just very interested in in this topic. And I just love the way it's all coming together and we're sharing. This is what it's all about. Mm. So Definitely. thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for coming on. It's been brilliant. Enjoyed it. Has, yeah, thank really you. Has. Oh, um, one more thing before we go. Um, the Folklore Library and Archive are having a conference in yes. July. Joe is one of our speakers. We've also got IC Centre, yeah. Joe, Neil Rushton, Val Thomas, Jeremy Hart, Nancy Kilgore, Arman Jacobson, Elizabeth Durnley, Morgan Daimler, Christopher Yosef, Simon Young and Barbara Wrighty. Amazing lineup. It's really exciting. It's it's gonna be Yeah, a good well one. done. It's really good. <laughs> and oh, it's it, for a good you know, cause as well, isn't it? For a good cause because yeah, it's for it's, uh, the ticket prices, it's fifteen pounds for the weekend and it's about ten lectures. And you yeah. also get access to playbacks and there's Q and A's so you can talk to the people and it's a really nice weekend. It's it's quite relaxed and it's gonna be very interesting. It's looking at fair experiences 
historically modern and in different cultures like Newfoundland, Iceland. It's going to be really interesting. Amazing. So that is on the Folklore Library and Archive website, and I'll post a link to it underneath with the Eventbrite. Cool. Yeah, really looking forward to it. And thank you again, Joe, for coming. Oh, thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. So it's goodbye <laughs> from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. And it's goodbye from Joe. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, it would be wonderful if you could leave us a review. This will help other people find our podcast and share it with friends. You can also support us via Patreon. We have a £2 a month tier, and this will go towards uh, costs of hosting and running the podcast and allow us to make more episodes for you. You can also buy us a coffee, which will always help us with our research. Thank you again for listening. Bye.